0: Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter fifty. Genesis chapter fifty. I'm titling the message this morning: "It's good to be forgiven." Genesis chapter fifty. Follow in your Bibles as we read. And Joseph fell upon his father's face and wept upon him and kissed him. And jo- Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed, embalmed Israel, and forty days were fulfilled for him, for so are fulfilled the days of those who, which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spoke unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak I pray you in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I. I die in my grave, which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now, therefore, let me go go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury thy father, according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of of his house, all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and, his, Joseph and his brethren, and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And then went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. And they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond Jordan, and there they mourned with a great and very sore lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning of the, uh, in the floor of Atad, the, of they said, This is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians. Wherefore the name of it was called Abel-Misraim, which is beyond Jordan. And his sons did unto him according as he commanded them. And his sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah which Abraham bought with the field for a possession of a burying place of Ephron the Hittite before Mamre. And Joseph returned into Egypt he and his brethren and all that that went up with him to bury his father after he had buried his father. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the the trespass of thy brethren, and their sin which they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went, went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it un, unto good, to bring to pass as, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not, for I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them, and spake kindly unto them. And Joseph dwelt in Egypt, and he and his father's house, and Joseph lived a hundred and ten years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation; the children, the children also of Macher, the son of Manasseh, were brought up upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of, of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you. And ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the passage we've just read, the conclusion of the book of Genesis. We thank you, Lord, for enabling us as we studied through this this book. And we thank you for the wonderful truths we found therein. We ask, Lord, today that you might help us in this concluding message to be ministered to by you about an important subject, and that's the subject of forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that we might all know that we've been forgiven by by you because we've trusted Jesus as our Savior. And if there's anyone here who has not received the Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Give enablement to bring the message. Teach us from your word. And we'll thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we come to the last message in our study of the book of Genesis. It's interesting to note that the book of Genesis begins with the wonderful account of God creating the heavens and the earth and then ends with Joseph's embalmed body lying in a coffin in Egypt. The introduction of sin into God's creation resulted in death and so it's been ever since that time as the bible says in romans chapter 5 verse 12 wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned so let's consider the account that's before us this morning chapter 50 of genesis and as we do we're going to look at we're going to focus our attention upon th- th- how good it is to be forgiven by the lord Let's begin, as we look at the passage, by dealing with the burial of Jacob. The Bible says that when Jacob died, there was genuine sorrow. It says it like this in verse 1, that Joseph fell upon his father's face, Joseph wept, and Joseph kissed his father. I've seen people do this often at funeral services, and that is to kiss the loved one. And I don't know that I've ever done that. It always seemed a little strange for me to do that but I understand completely how how people w- will do that and I'm sure if I I might have I just don't remember but I remember a time in my life when I thought oh I don't think I could do that but it doesn't bother me anymore and it's a genuine expression of sorrow and Joseph did just that he fell upon his father's face he wept and he kissed his father there's nothing wrong with genuine sorrow it's especially hard to lose your father and your mother. I know what that's like. I lost my dad when he was 60 years old. I lost my mother when she was 90 years old. But both of them were hard, and you who have been through that experience know what it's like. And so it's a hard thing to go through. And God, but God made us emotional beings, and it's, it's important that we do as God made us to do, and that is to express emotion. And this is genuine emotion expressed by Joseph. And he cried, he wept, he kissed his, 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 uh, his, uh, his dad, and uh, he hated to see him go, even though he knew that his dad was a believer. He believed that his dad had a future, I think, in, with the Lord. And, uh, but he was still sorrowful that his dad was gone. You know, tears are part of the healing process. And I've known, <clears throat> I've known people who find it very hard to cry. And people who will hold back the tears and uh, try not try their best not to cry, but really you find that people who do that will have a harder time dealing with this uh, the loss of a loved one because it's a part that God, it's a way that God has made us to emotionally express ourselves through tears, and so God has made us to be able to cry. And so if you face a time like that, go ahead and cry. There's nothing wrong with it. And if you have any question about it, just remember, Jesus, when he raised, before he raised Lazarus, even knowing he was going to raise him from the dead, the Bible says in the shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five, 35, and it just says this, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And it was a genuine expression of sorrow that Jesus had. And then the physicians embalmed Jacob's body. Egyptians were known for their embalming. And uh, you've probably heard about that, how that they embalm people, and uh, uh, the, the result is mummification. And so if someone would find a mummy, it could be thousand years of old, and old and still be preserved. Well, that's what they did to Jacob's body. The Egyptians were known for this, and uh, Joseph wanted his dad to be embalmed, but I want you to notice something. It says the physicians embalmed him. Now, in Egypt, there were the physicians and there were then the embalmers. There were professional embalmers who did just that. But the text says that Joseph had the physicians to do it. Now, I don't know just why. Some have speculated that the embalmers had a, very, had a lot of religious ritual that went along with that, pagan practices in their embalming of a, of a person. And so maybe that was the reason Joseph decided to have the physicians do it. They knew how to do it, and so the physicians bombed him. It took 40 days for this process of embalming to take place. I was reading about how they did it in Paradise to Prison, a book written by uh, Dr. Davis, uh, his, his commentary on Genesis. And he explained it like this, An incision was made, and all the organs were removed except the heart. The brain was removed through the nostrils and through instruments they just scrambled it and brought the brain out. The body was packed in dry nat- natron and it was a mixture of sodium carbonate and sodium bicarbonate. And it was, this caused rapid dehydration of the body. And after the body's moisture was removed by the natron, the natron was removed and uh, the corpse was sponged with water and perfume. Then the skin was anointed with resins, and the body was packed with linen soaked in the same material. The body was wrapped, and um, and then the result of, through all of that was mummification. But after this long period of, of forty days, they were mummified. So archaeologists have sort of dreamed, you know, about someday finding the the body of Jacob that was probably mummified and also later the body of joseph was done that as well as we'll find out but um, they they went through this process and then there was a mourning for jacob for 70 years 70 days now this 70 days probably included the 40 days of the embalming process and the egyptians joined in on this mourning, and so it says the egyptians mourned for him well that would be because He had been with them for 17 years, and they knew about his coming down from the land of Canaan, and he was the dad of Joseph, and uh, they respected him, and I imagine during those 17 years, Jacob sort of developed a reputation as a man of God, even though they didn't worship that God, they respected uh, Jacob, and also he was the dad of the second ruler of Egypt, which was Joseph, and so they mourned along with uh, Joseph's family. Then Joseph requested permission for Pharaoh to, from Pharaoh to go to Canaan to bury his father. And The Bible says because his father had him, made him swear that he would not bury him in Egypt, but that he would bury him in Cana in the cave of Machpelah, which had been bought by Abraham. And so uh, Joseph said, asked uh, Pharaoh to allow him to go, and then Joseph made a promise. He said, we will return. We will return. Now you can think about that. All these uh, Israelites, and they had prospered in the land of Goshen, and they, had, they were the ones that a lot of them took care of the Pharaoh's cattle, and uh, they were considered valuable by this time, and he didn't want them to leave. He wanted them to come back, and Joseph said, We will return. Let us go, and we will return. So Joseph left Egypt to, bury, uh, left Egypt to uh, go to Canaan to bury his dad. The Bible says that the servants of Pharaoh went, the elders of Pharaoh went, the elders of the land went, all of Joseph's house went, the little ones and the flocks and herds stayed behind, they didn't go on the trip, but chariots and horsemen went, and so it was a great company, and the Bible says a very great company, and God said that, so that meant it was a very great company. There was a host of people who went up. Now, when they got there, there was a seven-day morning at the threshing floor of Atad. And it says in verse 10 that that was beyond Jordan. Now, beyond Jordan would mean that it was on the east coast of Jordan. And then the Bible says they crossed over the Jordan. But for that seven-year period at what, what was called a threshing floor of Atad, and that was a large place and it was a place where they could gather so they gathered there and they had this other seven day mourning period for him and it says it was a great and very sore lamentation the Canaanites who lived in that area noticed what was going on and I imagine they were just beside themselves what 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 is happening all these Egyptians coming and all this entourage coming and these important people. And then Joseph, they didn't know Joseph probably who he was and uh, because he was dressed like an Egyptian as well because he was royalty. And, uh, but all this company comes and so they observed this and they said this is a grievous mourning to the Egyptians and so they named the place Abel Mizraim, which means mourning, the mourning of Egypt. And so uh, they were impressed by what was happening there. Then the Bible says Jacob's sons carried him into the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah. And so they carried him into Canaan. So beyond Jordan would be been on the east of the Jordan. They crossed the Jordan River and they went to this field where this cave was and they buried him. It's like their sons were the pallbearers and the... Egyptians probably stayed there around the, around the threshing floor. They carried their dad over, crossed the river, and they buried him there. And then Jacob and all of, his, all of that were with him returned to Egypt. Verse 14 tells us that, that they returned to Egypt. It was not the proper time for them to stay in, 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 in Canaan. Now I imagine, you, you can just think about it, they've been down in the land of Egypt for 17 years. They've been away that long from their land. And this is home to them. And I imagine some of them would have liked to stay. But they believed the prophecy that God had told Abraham that it would be they would be 400 years in the land of Egypt. And you remember what God told Abraham. He said this in Genesis 15 verse 16. But in the fourth generation, in those days the generation was 100 years, and in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. They shall come back to Canaan. And then he expresses it like this, For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The land of Canaan was a wicked area. I mean, there was all kinds of things that, that went on there, the immorality and uh, idol worship and sacrificing of their children to the to the idols, all those things. And uh, But the Lord said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God was patient. But when the time came for them to take over, to go back to the land of Canaan and actually conquer the land, it was time for them to be the arm of judgment from the Lord who would judge that land for their wickedness. And uh, But that time when God told Abraham this, the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. So when Joseph and his family went to bury Jacob, it was still true the iniquity of the Amorites was not yet full. God was still being long-suffering and patient to them, but the time would come when God would say, That's enough. I'm going to judge this place. You wonder about the United States. As the iniquity of the United States, is it getting to be full? Is it getting to be close to a time of judgment for the Lord? Well, it's very wicked. That's what we know. And so we need to remember that God is long-suffering, but there's a time that comes when God says, I must judge. Now, Joseph's brothers, when they get back, Joseph's brothers are afraid. And the Bible tells us in verse 15 that they're afraid because they believe that Joseph has not really forgiven them. Jacob's dead their dad's dead and they think that now since dad's gone Joseph will take it out on us and he will make us pay for what we did and so uh, they sent a message to Joseph they sent a messenger we don't know for sure who that messenger was but they sent a messenger and the, the messenger said this they told him to say this our father Jacob told us before he died to tell you to forgive us now whether Jacob actually did that we don't know it's not recorded but they said our father told us told us told, told us that you we should tell you to forgive us it's his request that you forgive us and they said now we pray thee so They sent a messenger to tell that, and then evidently they saw Joseph, and they said, Now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And then the Bible says that Joseph wept. I think this is the sixth time in the passage in the Genesis that Joseph, Joseph weeps. So he's not beyond shedding tears. But why is he weeping now? He's weeping because after all that he did for his brothers... They don't believe that he's been genuine. They don't believe that he's really meant it. They believe that now dad's dead, he's going to turn on them. And it saddened Joseph to hear them say that. And the Bible says he wept. And then his brothers went to Joseph and they fell down before his face. Again, you know, Joseph saw this in his dreams. They would bow to him, and here they're doing it again. And they bowed down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. We're willing to serve you. They're so afraid that Joseph's going to turn on them that they're willing to be his servants from from now on. And uh, it bothered Joseph that they would say that. But then Joseph assured them of his forgiveness. Look at verse 19 as we go through this passage Uh, Verse 19, Joseph assures them that he's going to forgive them, or he has forgiven them. It says, And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass that it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones, and he comforted them, and he spake kindly unto them. He said, fear not. You don't need to be afraid. I have forgiven you. I'm not going to lash out. I'm not going to take it out on you. I'm not going to get even. I'm not going to have revenge. Fear not. You don't need to be afraid. Then he says this, am I in the place of God? Joseph realized that he had no right to take revenge upon his, his brothers vengeance is mine i will repay saith the lord and joseph knew that and he knew he had no right to do that he didn't want to do it and he couldn't do it he shouldn't do it because he had no right to take revenge that's god's right and only god can do that something we need to remember when somebody harms you you are not to get even you're not to make them pay for it that is that's up to the lord You're to be the one that's willing to forgive. But as far as getting even with someone, that's up to the Lord. And believe me, God can do a lot better job than we can. And so he says that he's not going to do that. Am I in the place of God? I'm not going to act like God. Only God can do that. And really, how could he lash out at his brothers when really the actions of his brothers had turned out to be a great blessing to Joseph? I mean, now he's the second ruler in the kingdom. He's been in the position where he's been able to save a lot of people's lives because of what what the Lord allowed to happen. You meant it for evil, he said, but God meant it for good to save many lives. And so even though you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And so I'm not going to take God's place. I'm going to let God do what God does, and I'm just going to be forgiving. And then he says for this, then he says it like this when he said as for you you meant it for evil joseph's acknowledging to them that i know you did wrong unto me it's not as if i'm just bypassing that i know you did and it was evil what you did but i'm not going to get even and then he said this god meant it for good god meant it for good you know, we have that verse that we often say, we quote, and it's Romans 8, 28, For we know that all all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know that's true. And Joseph knew it, knew it was true. It was evil what they did, but God meant it for good. God allowed it to happen because God uses that to accomplish something good and when something bad happens to us we need to remember that God can work it out and God can take something that's bad and evil and a trespass and a sin and the brothers use all those terms to describe it God can take all those things that are bad and he can work it out to good in our life and we just need to believe him and then Joseph says this I will nourish you In other words, don't need to be afraid. I will nourish you. And then he comforted them, and then he spake kindly unto them. You see, when his brothers were troubled, when they thought about their past, they needed for Joseph to assure them that he had forgiven them. You know, we're just like that. Like Joseph's brothers, we also need forgiveness. We need forgiveness from God. I imagine everyone here, I've met some people who said, Well, I've never done anything bad in my life. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I don't believe there is such a person. But uh, I've met people who, who feel that way. But we, we've all sinned. We've all come short of the glory of God. We've all trespassed against the Lord. Forgiveness is something that we all need. And like Joseph's brothers, we need forgiveness. And we need forgiveness to be able to live, really. I mean, you need to know that you're forgiven. Wouldn't you hate it as a Christian to think that you have to worry about what you did in the past? You can't change those past actions. And all of us have things in the past that we'd rather not have and we wish weren't there. But we can't change it. But we need to be forgiven, and we didn't know we've been forgiven. And God does that for us. He forgives us and lets us know that we're forgiven. Now, what does forgiveness mean? Well, forgiveness means to cancel the punishment that is deserved. To cancel the punishment that's deserved. Uh, you know, you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to make it right. You don't have to... Uh, do whatever is necessary for people to think, well, he's done what he has to do and he, he's paid for. Forgiveness means you cancel the punishment deserved. Delivered from the punishment God's holiness demands. For God to forgive us means that God says, I will not punish you for that sin. I'm not going to do it. You are forgiven. Now, sometimes we read in the Bible where God says that he forgets. And it is true, God forgets. But we need to understand how God forgets. God's forgetting is not absent-minded. It's not like an absent-minded professor. And I've told you this many times, but I tell it again just so you'll try to get it. There's a song that says, uh, What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. Well, that song is not right if you have in mind that God has forgotten you ever did it. (laughs) That's not what God's forgetfulness is. God's forgetfulness is an act of His will, where He whereby He determines never to remember those things against us again. He'll ne- He'll never remember them against us. And so the Lord has hasn't forgotten that you did something. As I've pointed out many times, it's God who wrote the account of David, and I'm sure David wishes that wasn't in the Bible. <laughs> I imagine David, or at least he probably doesn't in heaven, he doesn't worry about those things, but uh, humanly speaking, he would rather not be that—that that be there. But uh, if we say, well, God forgot it, well, then God wouldn't have recorded it. If, God, if it wasn't in God's memory and he couldn't even remember that we did, it wouldn't be there. But God did record that. God recorded that sin with Bathsheba and we've and people have read it over and over again and criticized David and all of that but God forgave David and he never remembers that against David again David will never have to pay for that that's all forgiven it's forgiven and there's multiple examples of that in the scripture where God records a person's sin I mean a good man a good person Somebody the Lord's forgiven, somebody the Lord's used in a great way, but he'll record their sin to show that God hasn't forgotten that it ever happened, but God has determined by his will that he will never remember that against them again, and that's true forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is really demanded by God. If, we're, if you see God as a holy God who he is, it's... For us ever to be accepted by God, there has to be forgiveness. That's the way I mean that God is dema- forgiveness is demanded by God. You must be forgiven or you can never go to heaven. And so the question I'd ask all of you today, have you been forgiven? Have you been forgiven of your sins? You must be forgiven. God demands that or you can't go to heaven. We must be forgiven of our sins. God demands that because we are all sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3, There is, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in, in Psalm 53, I believe it is, The Lord looked down from heaven to see whether there were any that did good. And He said all of them had gone astray. There is none that does good, no, not one. So everybody is a sinner. God's holiness demands that there must be forgiveness because God's holiness says that he is of pure eyes. Habakkuk says it like this in chapter 1 verse 13. Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and canst canst not look upon iniquity. That means look with approval. God cannot do that. God cannot just Wink at it and say, okay, it's all right, I'll just pass it up. No, God's God's a holy God, and so sin must be dealt with. And so we can't deal with it, so we have to have forgiveness, but how in the world do we get forgiveness? Well, the Bible says that Jesus paid for our sins. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And so God's holiness demands that our sin would be punished. And uh, we are by nature, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, the children of wrath. We deserve the wrath of God. And so how can we be forgiven? Well, the answer is that that forgiveness has to come through the Lord who paid for our sins. Now, nobody deserves forgiveness. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And the Bible says that nobody deserves the forgiveness the Lord gives The Bible says, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who should stand? That's Psalm 130, verse 3. Lord, if you would mark iniquity, who could stand? But not only does no one deserve forgiveness, the forgiveness is actually delivered by God because that next verse in Psalm 130 says this, But there is forgiveness with thee. If, if you would mark iniquity, Lord, nobody could stand. But there is forgiveness with you. You see, Jesus took our penalty upon himself. All that we have against us, Jesus had laid on him. And so, as I've explained it so many times on the cross of Calvary, God the Father, in a way I don't understand, I just believe, some way took the sin of all the world, Everybody who lived in the past, everybody that was living in the present, and everybody that would live in the future. He took all their sin, and he laid them on Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. All have gone astray. The iniquity of us all was laid on Jesus. So on the cross... There was this heavy burden Jesus had. All the sin of the world laid on him. And then he, was, he suffered for that sin. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was being separated from God the Father because of our sin. That's what we deserve. He experienced the wrath of God on the cross on those three hours. And he took our sin upon himself. And so his holiness demanded that the sin be paid for. His love demanded that he pay for it. And so it's all paid for. It's all dealt with. And so he can forgive us because it's all paid. And so Jesus paid for our sins. And if we will put our faith and trust in what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary, we will believe that he paid for all of our sins, that he rose from the grave on the third day, and that he offers forgiveness and will come to him and believe that he says that he will forgive us. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We deserve to perish but you will not have to perish if you will believe what Jesus did for you he will forgive you and he can do that because he paid for your sins. Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Believe what? That Jesus died for our sins and he rose from the grave. Believe, then you shall be saved. You'll be rescued from your sin. You'll be saved and you will be forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse verse 7, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood. That's what he did for us on the cross. And then he says this, The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1 verse verse 14 says the same thing. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Redemption means release by the payment of a price. The payment of the price was what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood for us. And we are released by the payment of that price. And so he says, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Romans chapter 4 verse 7 says, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And so God delivers for us forgiveness because he paid for it on the cross of Calvary. And so forgiveness is something that once we have, we should delight in. We should be so glad about it. And we should be so glad that we're forgiven. Now, Joseph's brothers were troubled for 17 years. You remember when Joseph, when they came to Joseph, and uh, then, then later, you know, Jacob came down, the family came down. But they were troubled for 17 years that Joseph had not really forgiven them. And when their dad died, they thought, oh, this is it. Now he's going to really hit us. And so they were troubled for those 17 years that Joseph had not forgiven them. But when they found out that they were truly forgiven, it brought great blessing and brought joy. What did Joseph tell them? He said, you don't need to fear. Don't need to be afraid anymore. He says, I'm going to provide everything you need. I will, I, will, I will nourish you. I'll provide for all your family and everything. And then he brought comfort to them and he talked with them. And then the Bible says he spake kindly unto them. You know, sometimes the devil looks at us as Christians and uh, he wants to defeat us. And sometimes he'll defeat a Christian by making them think about their past. Making them think about what they've done. And they began to wonder, am I really forgiven? Am I ever going to have to face God with this? And am am I ever going to have to pay the price because of my sin? But we don't need to be that way. We need to just believe the Lord. You see, when the Lord says he forgives us, that means he forgives us. Now let's think just a minute. And I know this is just individually I want you to do this. You don't say anything. Don't tell me. But think about your past. Think about all the things that you've done. Think about the things you're ashamed of. Think about the things that nobody knows about but you and God. Think about all those past sins. Now, wouldn't that be defeating if you if you thought, I don't know if I've been really forgiven or not? That would be very defeating. But we as Christians don't need to think that way. But sometimes when you're discouraged, the devil will bring that up and he'll th- make, make you think, well, just think of the person you used to be. Just think of all the bad things you did. Think of all that that some someday you might have to reap for that. Just think about all those bad things. And he could discourage you, but the Lord wants you not to be that way. He doesn't want you to be discouraged. It's just like Joseph weeping for his, for his brothers, saying, brothers, Why do you feel that way about me? I mean, I forgave you. I've shown you by my actions. I forgave you. And just believe that. Now, Joseph's brothers for 17 years, evidently that just gnawed at them. And they were defeated because they didn't know if Joseph had really forgiven them. And what did they have to do? All they had to do was believe Joseph. (laughs) Believe Joseph. Now, when you face that, and the devil brings up your past, what do you have to do? You just have to believe the Lord. You just have to say, now wait a minute, devil. (laughs) Just wait a minute. God told me, when he saved me, he forgave me. All that stuff in the past, that's forgiven. He'll never bring it against me. Never again. And I am not going to be defeated. And so, Joseph's brothers, they... They missed out on some sweet fellowship with their brother. <laughs> those 17 years, I imagine, maybe when they met, they had that gnawing wonder if he really forgave them or not. Just think, if they had really been able to accept that, those 17 years could have been a lot sweeter. When they met Joseph, it could have been, they couldn't had any of that on their mind. They could just, he's for, totally forgiven me, and I'm his brother, he loves me, and they wouldn't have to worry about it all. All they had to do was, was believe Joseph. And it's the same way with us. All we have to do is believe the Lord. The Bible says it like this. Blessed are those whose iniquities are covered. We should be happy in the Lord because we've been forgiven. And it will bring wonderful fellowship with us with the lord as joseph spake kindly unto them and he comforted them so the lord does to us he speaks kindly unto us he comforts us he provides for us and he says do not fear we don't need to be afraid if we've trusted jesus as our savior but then the passage closes with the death of joseph and his embalming it says that joseph lived to be 110 years old to put this in perspective That was 54 years after he buried his dad. 54 years. So he lived a long time after that. And uh, so he lived to be 110 years old. Joseph lived to see his great-great-grandchildren. Look at verse 23. It says, And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Now I believe that probably means Ephraim and then three generations after him because it says the children of Mecca, the son of Manasseh were brought up upon Joseph's knees so Manasseh was his son Mecca was his was was his grandson and the children of Mecca would have been his great-grandsons and but he says of Ephraim there was three generations so it might be that he had he had great 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 grandchildren uh, however, you interpret that. But it, it, he lived long enough to enjoy a lot of his family and a lot of grandchildren and great grandchildren. Joseph believed in God's promises through all those years that God made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. And Joseph said unto his brethren, verse 24, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he sware to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He still believed God's promises. After 110 years, no matter how long we live, I hope that we'll always remember God's promises. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. We don't become old and bitter, old and grumpy. We should become older and happier, older and sweeter, because we know God's promises are true. And Joseph had his family take an oath to carry his bones to Canaan, when God delivered Israel from Egypt it says that in verse 25 just so Joseph had his family make an oath and say you're going to carry my bones to Canaan now I don't know if you thought about this like this but you remember when when the Moses came to the land of Israel to the land of Canaan God wouldn't let him go over Joshua went over and Joshua fought those battles and uh all the time they were fighting those battles, and they, you know, they set up the tabernacle and all that. Guess what else was there? The coffin with Joseph's bones in it. <laughs> and so he said, "When you go up out of Egypt, take my bones." And so as they traveled uh, and making those battles, uh, they took the bones uh, of, of Joseph. And so Joseph was there. Joseph's bones were there. And so, all that time, even when wandering in the wilderness, Joseph's bones were there. And in the book of Joshua, we find out that they finally buried Joseph's bones uh, after they got into the land of Canaan. He probably wasn't carried around very much, but it was after a period of time, his bones were buried uh, by Joshua. And so, all of that time, uh, he his bones were going around, but because he had made his family make an oath a promise they swore that they would not leave his bones in egypt that showed that joseph believed that god was going to restore the land to the children of israel and uh, joseph then the bible says joseph died he was embalmed he was put in a coffin in egypt well joseph was a very important person but this story tells us nobody is too important to be replaced you know, we sometimes wonder how can we get along with so, without so-and-so. But it happens, they die, and we get along. We have to. And that same was true with Joseph. 110 years old, but he finally died, and he went on. John Wesley said it like this, God buries his workmen, but his work goes on. Nobody is indispensable. The time will come, we must die. But the question is, When you die, are you sure you're forgiven? When you die, you face God. Do you know that you're forgiven? If you know Jesus as your Savior, you know that everything's forgiven. All of your sins, past, present, future, everything, when Jesus died for you on the cross of Calvary, he died for those sins. And so if you know Jesus as your Savior, when you die, all of your sins are forgiven. You'll never have to pay for them. They're forgiven. But if you die without Jesus, your sins are not forgiven. And I also would tell you this. If you die without Jesus, there'll never be an opportunity for them to be forgiven. The only time for your sins to be forgiven is now in this life. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, trust Him. Live for Him. And if you do know the Lord as your Savior, live with joy. I mean, live with freedom. Our sins are forgiven. Enjoy the Lord. Don't fear. Be happy. Enjoy sweet fellowship with Him. Serve Him, because it's a wonderful blessing to know the Lord and know everything is forgiven. Let's pray. Father, thank you today that Jesus is our Savior. If we've trusted Him, Lord, we know that He paid for all of our sins. And everything's forgiven. We thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray that we might live with freedom and joy as a Christian, knowing that sins are forgiven. But Lord, if there's somebody here who's not saved, impress upon them this fact today, their sin is not forgiven. If they don't trust Jesus, there's no forgiveness because he's the only way. And I pray that today they might turn in faith and trust you.